So, while Shinebright has their own private military for national and international disposal, they pretty much left local and regional authority in policing to the existing offices and infrastructure. Their military is only deployed against the few holdout countries like Chile, Luxembourg, and Tibet. When will they realize how great being protected by Shinebright really is? I mean, don't get me wrong, Shinebright didn't not upgrade the local law enforcement. They supplied every national officer with cutting-edge tactical body armor with the tear gas dispensing nipples, and bullets that would pierce anything short of the hide of a Sherman tank. The bullets are nicknamed dildos, like, you are truly fucked if one gets near you. Of course, Shinebright also expanded some of their special offices and departments from coast to coast. In every major city, there was an extra legal branch of Shinebright's human and inhuman resources. The brain bulls were sometimes brought around when completely reprehensible or wildly violent thoughts are found out or reported. The detectives that had come into the office a couple of weeks ago came back in. This was days after Balthazar's bris. I found out that the detectives worked for the SVU arm of the local precinct. According to television, that stands for Special Victims Unit, but that's just someone making up acronyms. It really stands for Sensory Verification Unit. I mean, at least Dick Wolf got the unit part right. The real SVU goes around and authenticates any sub-psychic beings that may have entered the real world. After my Shinebright web search and the Briss, having them look into the office employing both Kathy, her eighth suitor, mysteriously just got shaken loose this mortal coil Hammond, and I wasn't a complete surprise. I mean, it didn't stop me from taking care of that poor bastard that had been assigned to a special project with Kathy has been weirdly clutching a folder lately, Hammond. He barely heard me slip through his patio door before I took him out. Anyway, the detectives came back. They made their way with an expert conviction, cutting hard lefts and hard rights through the corporately constructed cubicle maze of our floor. They swung heavy through her sales department and made a wide berth around my creative department. The detectives, I think I heard their names were Vesper and Buddy, had a closed-door meeting with my supervisor, Mr. Manos. From the open space between my cubicle walls, I spied the professional investigators come in. I had been perusing the Meat Doll of the Month Club website to replace my corned beef giraffe. They were offering a new prosciutto-wrapped deer sausage, wire-haired fox terrier that might have filled the void from the one I crushed to death after my almost interrogation. It was an endearing piece. The terrier was pointing a recently downed mark or target, its one forepaw planted firmly to the hunting ground, while the other forepaw was aimed at the felled fowl with a sniper's precision. The dog pointing at something dead. The irony was not lost on me. Anyway, the detectives didn't seem very happy with something about Mr. Manos. There was a bunch of angry gesticulating and slamming down files that they didn't seem interested in. They pointed out of his office, over to Kathy, the most innocent of innocent lambs ever Hammond's conference room, and made noises loud enough that I could tell they were unhappy, but not clearly enough that I could tell what they were frustrated about. Mr. Manos shuffled papers and files around like he was playing a losing game of blackjack against a cheating dealer. The SVU did not seem pleased with the special project they had delegated to his office. I'm not saying it's anyone's fault, really, but I just assume Kathy's work on this special project might have gone smoother if I wouldn't have killed her assigned partner. But let's face it, I saw how he had begun to look at her. He was thinking about her eyes, 
or her skin or hair or her smile or her anything really. He was falling in love with her. He was going to fantasize about her. He was going to touch himself. We were taught that there are only two things you masturbate to, either your spouse or Zotlocks, the deity of loneliness, whose enveloping tentacles are testicles and vice versa. Anyway, if it's anyone's fault he died, it's his. The detective stormed out of Mr. Manos's office and started eyeballing the open top of my cubicle. I quickly clicked the buy now button for the meat terrier and deeply wish it was magically delivered immediately into my hands so I can start wringing the ever living crap out of it. They both take a couple of synchronized steps toward my department section. Their handful of footsteps were heavy with authority. They almost made the water in my glass shudder, like the water in the glasses in that dinosaur documentary. You know the one. But then they stopped. One of them, I don't know if it was Buddy or Vesper, his head swiveled and locked eyes with Kathy. What the fuck is happening, Hammond? Maybe it was because they were highly trained officers of the law, and maybe it was because I saw a more highly skilled observer of Kathy. Is she above the law, Hammond? But we both saw her shake her head in the slightest way, almost imperceptibly, side to side. Vesper, or it could have been Buddy, put his hand out to stop his partner's march toward me. He lifted his chin toward Kathy, goddamn Hammond, and his partner finally played a quick game of mental catch-up. As they murmured to each other, taking the long way around the entire perimeter of the office floor and to the elevators to seemingly exit the building, Kathy, even sashaying is too casual a word for it, Hammond, began her sojourn from her cubicle to mine. The last time she made this trip was the last time the detectives were here. The last time she made her way over to grace me with her presence, to actually see me and not see through me, was weeks ago. The last time she peeked her perfect face over my workspace wall was to start the destruction of my life with three words. I began to wonder what fresh new hell she was going to plunge me down into as she made her way over and handed me the folder she had been tightly gripping for the past couple of days. She then uttered three words I'd never thought I'd ever hear. They were three words that would, once again, upend my life completely. She said, Let's Let's grab grab lunch. lunch. The Daily Grind has definitely left me despondent and needing some kind of escape. I need something to take the edge off of a long day. In a world where the bastards are absolutely getting me down, there's only one that helps me relax and kicks my brain the balls. <laughs> but in a good way. Infallible solution? That's where I... No. <laughs> Infallible solution. solution. Yeah. It's your turn. Infallible Solution is an expertly crafted whiskey made from finely malted barley and the perfect mix of aromatics, such as savory Madagascar vanilla, succulent uh, cane sugar, and the dried rinds of freshly caught Amazonian river dolphins. Each batch of Infallible Solution is hand-sealed twice. What? 
Each batch of infallible solution is hand distilled twice by the dedicated mentally unwell of the saint. Oh, honey, for the blessed of heart how Those batches are then aged for at least six years, give or take, in casks made from wood curated from the suicide groves of northern Brazil. The resultant whiskey is blessed by the priests of Karnak. May her ever-enveloping darkness find us in the light and extinguish it to preserve us. It's then bottled. Each batch and bottled cull of infallible solutions is uniquely consistent. While infallible solution will always possess the smoothness of the barrel's char and the earthly scent of that season's previous deaths, and include the yet softly smoky caramel overtones. There's also an assortment of delightful undertones, such as wild horses running across the open plains, remembering a word you forgot four days ago, and the scent of your grandmother's home when you were a child. So... If you're looking for an effortless drink to numb your head, <laughs> your body, and or the electromagnetic biological resonance, which some may consider a soul, why not turn to the infallible choice, infallible solution whiskey? It's like our tagline says, created by the best and brightest philosophy and ethic dropouts says, wait, what? <laughs> the infallible solution is. I Hate Kathy Hammond is written by Douglas Allen and co-produced by Kate Pumplin and Douglas Allen. It features the voice talents of Douglas Allen, Kat Archuleta, Howie Haig, Kate Pumplin, and Christy Wolf. For more information, please visit us at www.bacnpodcast.com. And if you like what you've heard, check out our other shows like Black Falls, Nerd Vomit, and Fear Agents.